This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Mark Airy. He has uh, spent 30 years of his life as a Greek Orthodox priest until he resigned from the ministry in 2013, and I should say, married the love of his life. He is doing nonprofit work. Uh, he's living in Taos, New Mexico, and I, I want to uh, just say that through the miracle of modern technology, uh, Phil is in Los Angeles, uh, Mark is in Taos, New Mexico, and I am in Gothenburg, Sweden. So uh, we are here together uh, to, uh, to talk with Mark today. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to come on with us today. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. Mark, let's begin by uh, giving our audience a sense of your background and, um, most specifically, what uh, <laughs> brought you to your uh, original choice of uh, joining the ministry and why Greek Orthodoxy? Okay. Uh, it's a long time ago in my life. This <laughs> it's okay. Well over 40 years. I was a priest for 34 years, actually, and I became aware of Orthodox Christianity through two interesting sources. One, the writings of Thomas Merton. Mm -hmm. Even though he was a Roman Catholic, he was aware of Orthodox sources. And two, uh, as a person who majored in languages, uh, a real love of the ancient Greek language, which is my avocation as a translator of ancient Greek. Mm. So that's how I got introduced and went to seminary and was ordained. In those days, there were very few uh, non-Greek uh, uh, clergy. I was a convert to the faith. I had been raised as an Episcopalian. Uh, ah. so. Okay, uh, Mark, when you left the church, uh, when you resigned as, as a priest, you, you mar were married, and that was in 2013. My understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that in the Greek Orthodox Church, as opposed to the Roman Catholic Church, uh, a bishop is supposed to not be married, but a priest can be married. Is that right? That is correct, but I was married previously and mm -hmm. divorced as a very young priest. And in the Orthodox Christian tradition, priests may never marry. A married man may become a priest, but once you're ordained, whether your wife divorces uh -huh. you or whether your wife even dies... Uh, you're not allowed to remarry. Mm -hmm. So in order to remarry, it was necessary to uh, give up active ministry. Interesting. Mark, can you um, uh, give our audience and us uh, a, a, a greater sense of the difference between uh, the, the Greek Orthodox tradition and the Roman Catholic? Um, I believe you're the first person to have that kind of uh, training that we've interviewed. Mm -hmm. How is it different? Well, it's, it's really very simple. For the first thousand years, the first millennium of Christianity, they were the same church. For the second thousand, uh, they have gone separate ways, primarily over administrative issues, meaning Orthodox Christians do not accept the uh, primacy of the Pope of Rome over the entire church. Mm -hmm. And there are other doctrinal, philosophical differences, but that's really the, the sticking issue, if you, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, Orthodox Christianity is also, in its, even in its current form, really strives to hold on to very ancient forms, uh, ancient uh, understandings and philosophies, 
that have influenced Christian thought. You know, as we all know, Jesus was Jewish. He was not Greek. He was, um, mm-hmm. and Christianity adopted Greek philosophy and philosophical forms in the same way that Roman Catholic philosophy much, much later adopted certain philosophical forms. And that's actually where I'm at now as a person, as a human being, is that I think it's time for Christianity to rethink some of its forms, because first of all, I don't think they speak to people as loudly and clearly as perhaps they did. And second of all, I think we've evolved Mm -hmm. uh, as human beings, and we need to find new ways. One of my favorite quotes goes back to my, my inspiration to become a clergyman in the first place is from Thomas Merton when he said the night before he died, uh, Zen and Christianity are the future. Mm-hmm. Mark, uh, the decision to leave the priesthood, having served for 30 years as, as a priest, uh, I'm sure wasn't an easy decision. Or was it? Uh, did, is it something you thought about for six months or a year or 10 years? And was it a sudden decision? And once you made that decision, how did the church react uh, to your leaving? Well, as I like to say to people when they say, it was, was it hard to leave after so long? I say, well, you haven't met my wife, have you? So <laughs> uh-huh. it was actually a very easy decision for me. Um, and I think in one way I was ready to move on anyway, mm-hmm. but certainly... Uh, falling in love with my wife, Lynn, and, and deciding to get married, you know, that was a huge influence. On the other hand, I have a wonderful relationship with the church to this day. I mean, I, mm. I worked at a very high level of uh, administration. I was the ecumenical and interfaith person for our national church. I worked on international issues. Uh, about a third of my ministry was as an administrator, two-thirds as a parish priest. Right, right. Uh, but is there anything is there anything you miss about it? No. Mm-hmm. And, and and they were good simple with you. Simple answer. Yeah. Is it, it really is a simple answer. But yeah. There's really I mean, like a lot of things. Thirty four years is a is a is a lifetime for many people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More yeah. than time. So, you know, you you do something for a certain amount of time, and then you move on to other things. And uh, I moved on. And, and and the church was okay with it. And, and you, you still consider yourself a Greek Orthodox? Oh, yes. I, I, well, people sometimes ask me because of the things that I write. And Are you a Buddhist or a Christian? And I say both <laughs> and neither. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. But I, I do consider I'm very much a part of the Greek Orthodox Church. I'm still very involved behind the scenes, usually, with different projects and uh, clergy. And I... I still know and have good relationships with everybody that I worked with formerly. Right. Uh, Mark, uh, one of your books, I think the most recent, is called The Gospel of Love, a meta-translation. And in the uh, write-up I've seen for the book, it said um, that it treads a new path of interfaith experience by telescoping to the core of the gospel through the non-theistic lens of Buddhism. Can you explain that? And in so doing, let us know uh, how your colleagues in the church uh, would respond to that or have responded. Well, by saying telescoping to the core, what I was intending was that 
to get to the meat of the issue. What does the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, call us to? What was he really preaching? And that's why I did a meta-translation, meaning I not only translated it from the Greek, but then I changed some of the words so that it would be more intensely felt what mm. the translation was trying to convey. The main thing I did was to change the word God, Father, and Lord when they referred by Jesus or one of his disciples and use the word love instead. It sounds very simple, but when you read it, especially if you read it aloud, it sounds a lot different and it, and it gives a different understanding. The Buddhist side of it was to take the uh, realization of shunyata, of voidness or emptiness, and compare that to the Christian idea of trinity, mm. which is, mm -hmm. and the comparison was very simple, that things are related to each other and nothing exists intrinsically. Even the trinity is a series of relationships and not some absolute being. I think that people really get hung up with God and God concepts when they think of it as a being off somewhere observing humanity, you know, the watchmaker, or the clockmaker, or Aristotle's unmoved mover. And these are all philosophical influences, but I don't necessarily think they're Christian at the end of the day. And I think mm -hmm. that putting a Buddhist lens on and looking at it from a different perspective uh, can be very helpful to people. And that's why mm -hmm. I'm interesting. Mar Dennis, can I follow up on that? Go ahead. The first part of what your, uh, your answer, Mark, you, you refer to um, um, what some might think of as taking liberties with translation. Um, can you give us an example of some uh, familiar part of the gospel that you changed to make it, uh, in your eyes, uh, more authentic sounding? Well, sure. I mean, just the first line of the Gospel of John, which is probably the most famous, you know, in the beginning was the Word, mm -hmm. and the Word was present to love, and the Word was love. Huh. That sounds much different than mm -hmm. what most people are used to. And I explain in the book, in the introduction, which I think is sufficient, if not too much, how and the and the rationale because all translation at the end of the day is interpretation mm -hmm. and all interpretation as Susan Sontag said is translation I mean so uh, taking it to a different level if the reader accepts it and I understand that there are many people who would not accept it who would say that I'm tampering mm -hmm. with the text but mm -hmm. you know in as much as there's how many 5,000 different versions of the New Testament in manuscript <laughs> form uh. And how many translations? And so, you mm -hmm. know, everybody uh, tampers with it right. at one level or another. Interesting. Mark, Mark uh, uh, question about uh, Christianity and, and its relationship to Buddhism. Um, I grew up Roman Catholic, and when I think of Christianity uh, or Catholicism anyway, I think of the emphasis being on doctrine, even though there are spiritual techniques, and it is, mm -hmm. there, there is a tradition of experiential spiritual practice and whatnot. It, it, when I think of Buddhism, I think of the emphasis not so much on doctrine, but of uh, spiritual technique, of, uh, of, of experience. Uh, how, how does that mesh for you? How were you first introduced to Buddhism? And in your own life, 
Uh, how do you integrate the two? Um, I'll start with the latter half first. I was first introduced to Buddhism. Uh, again, I read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance when I was 14 or 15 years old. Great book. Um, a fabulous book. Um, read Zen and the Birds of Appetite when I was a young, 40 years before I knew what it meant mm-hmm. or, or could really appreciate it. And I had some exposure as a young man, but as I even say in my introduction, I was afraid because, you know, the absolutist monotheistic view of Christianity or of all the Abrahamic faiths actually um, pushes back against anything else, I think, and tries to own the whole space. Uh, So it really took uh, a long time for me to come back to it. Uh, It's interesting, my last seven years as a priest, I was also the director of all interfaith activity in the Greek Orthodox Church of the United States. So that was a great position in which to explore. And then uh, my wife, who was a very spiritually sensitive soul, uh, and I became members of Tibet House in New York City. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. But uh, that became a a spiritual home to me. Uh, Became friends with Bob Thurman um, and really started to study and to read and to expand my own point of view and that's kind of how I've landed where I've landed now. And I'm really enjoying it because it's, I, I feel more Christian today because of my study of Buddhism. That's why I say I'm neither one nor the other, but I'm both all mm-hmm. at the same time. And I'm not a syncretist. I'm not trying to mesh things and make them work. You see, going back to the first part of your question, there's, there's, there's dogma in the Christian church. But there's also teaching. Jesus was a teacher, preeminently. And goodness knows, Siddhartha Buddha was a teacher. And that's one of the meanings of Dharma, as we know. So they were both teachers. And they were trying to teach people to live a different way. Um, I, I, and so I, I see similarity. I don't see that one is, you know, meditative technique as opposed to right. uh, a series of propositions that you accept. I think that's part of the problem of Christianity right now is that the propositions don't mean much anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. what person, Christian person, really thinks about the Trinity on a daily basis? Nobody. That I know. They Not many, yeah. <laughs> or, or say, that's a holy formula. I'm supposed to mm-hmm. shut my eyes, genuflect, or do this or do that. But it's more Pavlovian than it is, uh, you know, an internalized experience. Mark, you you mentioned early in our interview, uh, you you felt the need for Christianity to, quote, rethink its forms. Could you expand on that? What do you mean by the forms, and what uh, in particular do you think needs to be rethought? Um, Very specifically, I mean, the forms come from two different places. They come either from Judaism, And, you know, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And if you read the Old Testament with Christian eyes, you can see Jesus and the sacrifices and all these things. Or it's Greek metaphysics of the, you know, early first century, you know, Neoplatonism, Platonism, Socrates, how can three be one and one be three? All these formulas that the ecumenical councils of the first eight centuries of Christianity came up with. And that's all fine and good, but what they've left us with, I think, 
is a theory of punishment. And it's interesting to me that Jesus, you know, the idea of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, and I don't know if you, I never saw uh, the, the Passion of Christ, the Mel Gibson movie, maybe you guys mm -hmm. did, or no people. I, I did not, yeah. I actually refused to on, mm -hmm. you know, moral terms, but um, the reality is, is that people see Jesus as either this, you know, bloodied sacrifice because we're all so bad, God had to kill his own son, or it's become this dialectic of philosophies about God as if there's some being out there that we can penetrate with our human mind. Uh, I find them both weak. Just to give you an example, Jesus ended animal sacrifice during his ministry. Right? He drove the animals out of the temple. Right. In a sense, he, he ended animal sacrifice. But even the early Christians were still going to the temple and offering sacrifices. They, did, they didn't really get their teacher's action into themselves. So why would God want a human sacrifice if Jesus ended animal sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Frankly, yeah, I never understood that. No. But, but Mark, Mark, let me ask yeah. you. I mean, doesn't, doesn't the Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, don't they emphasize those two things? Number one, that uh, oh, the suffering and the, and the bloodied Christ uh, and, and that, that, that died for our sins, that's emphasized over and over again, and also that uh, God is a, 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 a being up there that you should be communicating with and talking to every day. <clears throat> Jesus is a being somewhere that you should be talking to every day. Isn't that emphasis still in the church? And if, based on what you're saying, are you somewhat of a maverick and are you fighting the establishment when you say what you say? Well, I, again, I think, you know, the idea that God's a being, we're supposed to have this transactional relationship with him, seems to me to be a little childish, if not child. But, not but, that's, childish, what the, but that's what the church emphasizes. That's what they want you to think. That's what they wanted me to think when I was being raised as a Catholic. That's not what I emphasized when I was mm. a priest for 34 years. Mm. So I'm not sure everybody, I, I understand where the weight of it is. That's why I say it's time for a new lens. Let me just mm -hmm. give you a, a two-second uh, different interpretation of the sacrifice of Christ. Maybe the sacrifice of Christ wasn't so much this kind of penitentiary uh, punishment, uh, atonement theory that comes from the Old Testament. There's no doubt about it and was really expanded by the church as almost a means of control of people, maybe it instead was, as, as, as the Tibetan Buddhists talk about, a chode practice of himself, where he literally, you know, chode, the practice of cutting the ego. And there are all these images of, of even from Milarepa, you know, offering your body to the gods for you to be devoured. So that, and these are all understandings that you're, that you're hacking off the ego and getting to the core of reality, which mm. is your entire interdependence with everyone else. I think there's a different way of looking at Jesus's death. Or, as we say in the Greek Orthodox Church, he conquered death by death. If you look to Buddhism, that's what Yamantaka is, the wrathful form of Mandrashi. Mm. He's a conqueror of death by death. So there are other, and this is actually, I'm writing a, another book, like a sequel 
to the gospel of love called the kingdom of love right now, where I'm really getting into that aspect, I realize that some people will not want to hear of another paradigm to explain the meaning of the historical, quote unquote, you know, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I get that. But what I'm hoping is that there are enough people, there's a lot of Christians out there, or at least people who, you know, use the appellation, um, that there'll be enough people that they'll look at it and say, wow, that's an interesting way to look at it. As far as the church goes, I don't expect the church to take my translations or my works and teach them in our seminaries. Mm. No. <laughs> and that's okay, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, because um, I'm trying to offer something that's different for Christians not to give up on Jesus. Jesus is a remarkable figure. I mean, even the Dalai Lama has said that he believed Jesus to be a fully enlightened being, or at least he says a bodhisattva of a very high nature. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot with Jesus mm-hmm. that we're missing because we're still trying to pound him into these old forms, which were used, and let's be honest, gentlemen, 99% of religion is about control. Usually 1% is about transformation, and it's supposed to be the other way around. Right. Well put. Phil? Um, Mark, speaking of your works, um, on your website, um, it looks like you've uh, worked on two graphic novels, one of which is based on the book of Revelation. So uh, two questions. One, why a graphic novel? Um, And um, two... Um, what is your take on this really mysterious and strange uh, volume called the Book of Revelation, which has been, you know, mystifying people for 2,000 years? What is your particular take on it? Well, the reason we did a graphic novel, it wasn't my idea. It was actually a friend of mine's idea. And it was a collaboration between an artist, an adapter. Chris Coley, fabulous artist, Matt Dorff, great adapter, my translation. Um, And we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, We really did. And it was actually a relative success for a while. Uh, It's it's the full book. All it is is the book of Revelation, 22 chapters, 404 verses, 570 illustrations, I think. It's very well done. As far as the book of Revelation goes, we took in the book a view from the first century AD. So you see the Roman Empire reflected in it because, of course, that was the experience of John, whoever this John really was. Mm-hmm. I happen to believe the same one who wrote the event, the gospel, but mm-hmm. he, he was a man of the first century AD. Uh, my take is very simple. I don't know what the book of Revelation really means. I do know this. It ends on a very hopeful note, which I, you know, it ends with things getting better and with the, with this this sense of restoration. And there is in many traditions, this idea that, that we come to the close of certain ages and there's a conflagration or a flood or a disaster or cataclysm of some kind. And then we move on into a greater, uh, a greater uh, consciousness and, and life. You know, Christianity posits something which is usually most people ignore. We do posit infinity. We believe that God is infinite. Mm. So if things are infinite, there is no end and there's no beginning. 
Um, so, you know, the book of Revelation might just be a, a vision of one cataclysmic spasm of the human family. And some of it clearly already happened, meaning the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD. That was cataclysmic for not just the Jewish community, but for the early Christian community. It was just as cataclysmic. So, you know, how much of this is interpretation, vision, uh, I don't know. But uh, we certainly enjoyed trying to put it into images. It was a fun project. Mm -hmm. Mark, uh, we have a few minutes left, and I, I wanted to, you're the executive director, I believe, of the Hellenic uh, Initiative, uh, a nonprofit. Uh, tell us about your work with that. Well, it's a great organization founded in 2012 by uh, diaspora Greeks, meaning Greek Americans, Greek mm -hmm. Australians, and people from Europe, in response to the real tragedy, the economic tragedy that is Greece and is still ongoing all of these years later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We do philanthropic work and we do economic development work. We raise money outside of Greece and we spend the money in Greece. I, I've been privileged to be its executive director. I'm in my fourth year with them. Um, and we do good work, and I'm proud of the work, whether it's helping uh, refugees on the islands, uh, feeding hungry children, giving kids vaccinations, or enabling doctors to go to very remote Greek islands. You know, there's 600 inhabited Greek islands mm -hmm. amongst the 3,000. Wow. You know, they don't have a hospital or a doctor on each island. Mm -hmm. So we help in that way, um, and we also do, we're very encouraging to the entrepreneurial community in Greece, which is nothing like it is in this country, but there are still great entrepreneurs, and we're trying to help them and encourage them find capital, which there is none in Greece, liquid capital, and things like that in order to help, you know, rejuvenate the Greek economy, because at the end of the day, that's what it's going to be about. You've got to get these people. You can't have a, a population under the age of 30 at 55% unemployment. Mm -hmm. That's just... It's intolerable. In, in America, wow. if you had that in a community, you would say the city in which that's happening is going to implode. Um, Greece has a very strong social structure, which is good, and it has held the country together, but it still needs help. And this is one organization that's just trying to do the best it can. Very good. Mark, uh, one qu a question coming back to your uh, theology and your uh, evolving view of Christianity. Uh, to what extent, you mentioned Thomas Merton, the great Thomas Merton. To what extent do the uh, uh, Christian mystics of old, John of the Cross, uh, Teresa of Avila, Meister Eckhart, to what extent uh, are you uh, inspired by or have you learned from them? And to what extent are they part of the Greek Orthodox uh, uh, repertoire, so to speak. Well, of course, you're mentioning uh, mystics of the West, whom I have yeah. read, all of them. Uh, I used to carry a copy of Ascent of Mount Carmel around in my back pocket in high school mm. of Juan de la Cruz. Um, I've been more inspired, though, because I of my Greek Orthodox background by the ascetic uh, fathers and mothers ah. of the deserts of Egypt. The desert. Mm -hmm. where yeah. The desert fathers. Much of the Desert Fathers mm. will remind you of, of the Zen masters. They truly yeah, were. Yeah. And the yogis. And, yes, indeed. And also uh, the great writers of something that's called, and it is available completely in English, the Philokalia, 
The Love of Beauty, which is a five-volume uh, set of mystical writings, uh, including St. Isaac of Syria, who was a Persian 7th century saint. Um, tremendous uh, depth of mystical experience in them. And you sense that commonality with all great mystical experiences of the beyond or the infinite or of God, whatever, whatever your lingua is for that experience. Yeah. So I, I have taken great, uh, great uh, comfort and, and inspiration from these, especially the desert fathers. Uh, mm. I find them to be extremely profound. I'll give you one quote. It's from a monk whose name is Agapho, which means good in Greek. And he says, if I could, I should like to find a leper and exchange my body with his. This for me would be love. Wow. Wow. Very, you know, very nice. It's uh, just yeah. stunning. Powerful, powerful stuff. Stuff that I, I wish I had heard more of when I was growing up uh, from the church. But uh, one, last one last question for me, Mark, and that is... Uh, I think you mentioned in the beginning that Thomas Merton had said uh, uh, the evening before he died that, uh, and he did die unexpectedly, that uh, the future was the synergy of Christianity and Buddhism. Uh, do you think that's the case, and what, what might that look like? I think that is the case. I'm not sure what it looks like. I feel like I'm uh, a, a worker, a day laborer, digging a hole right now, maybe that someone else will lay a foundation in. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to clear some ground and talk about it in a way that's not scandalous to Christians or will turn them off, but in a way that will help people to say, gee, you know, I could look at it this way. That seems to make some sense. It's interesting. I've had a number of clergymen read my book, friends, who loved it. And I actually, I've been kind of surprised. I thought they would be more scandalized by some of the things I said. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's how I, I, I think it is the future. But, you know, I don't think the future, the future is infinite. I think it's fine for us to take this lifetime to dig down some post holes and let somebody else actually do the building. Very good. Mark, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a really real appreciate it. Really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to having you on sometime in the future. So, uh, great, great work you're doing with your nonprofit, and and uh, any uh, book or uh, other information uh, that you want to share with our listeners. Well, just uh, the Gospel of Love, a meta translation, available on Amazon, uh, and um, there you can see all of uh, what I've done, uh, just the four books that I've done, but. I'm looking forward to doing more. Great. We'll have, links. we'll have links when we put this up. Thanks for joining us. Keep up the good work. And Thank you, we'll John. see you around. Thank you. Bye, brother. All right, bye. Thank you.